Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Indie True Crimes. This is uh, episode two. I am so happy to be here with you fine people. Uh, my name is Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, the one and only Shannon. How you doing, Shannon? Hi, how are you? Light love from Key West, Florida. And See, I like this, Shannon. This is the Shannon I grew up on, the one that smiles, that's happy. That this is this is a Shannon I grew up on, so I'm glad to see that she is here, and uh, looking forward to the the show tonight. Um, this this episode, uh, uh, we're having once again back uh, the great Dwayne Hendricks. How you doing, man? I'm outstanding. And I have to, I have to say that since we did our the the show uh, last Wednesday, uh, the responses have been excellent. Uh, people are very, you know, very happy about um, the the episode and looking for more information. And um, there's so much that we can talk about. And I have so many uh, things that I didn't get to that I would definitely love to get to. And, um, you know, because these are some things that you're not going to get on a mainstream platform. You're not going to get they're not going to they they censor stuff in so much the same way that you know it makes you i mean even if you don't have any information like you don't know anything just having your third eye open you see that something's not right you know so uh oh uh uh steve brother steve we're not uh taking in uh people just yet but uh thank you though for uh coming in <laughs> all right so um yeah, that's my boy Steve. Steve be on it on Facebook. He he be on top of it. He be really wanting to know. <laughs> oh, that's I got, what's up. That, I got that list for him tonight too. All right, that's what's up. Yeah, so that's what's that. up. So what I what I want to do is, um, let's start off by once again give us a little uh, insight into who you are. For those who uh, made didn't catch last week's episode. Okay, um, my name is Dwayne Hendricks, as the brother said. Um, <laughs> I uh, am the spokesperson for the Wayne Williams Freedom Project. Um, in this capacity, I've been operating uh, since about 2014. I initially met Wayne Williams through a... Uh, a childhood friend that was locked up in the same prison with him when he was at Hancock state prison. And at the time I was working on a documentary. Um, I am a film major. I went to school to get my film degree and, um, I was working on a completely and totally different documentary, but the Atlanta child murders was always something that resonated with me ever since I was six years old. So, um, of course, when the opportunity came, I jumped on it and um, never got to fully make the documentary because we didn't get the participation that we needed because of it being such a uh, convoluted subject and such a um, complex um, situation to try to approach. So many people being frightened and so many people afraid of political ramifications and things of that nature. So what I did is I just took the fight to social media. And in the process, um, Wayne ended up 
asking me to be his actual spokesperson because he saw how uh, people were responding to the things that I was saying about his case online. And lo and behold, um, six years later, we got the Atlanta child murder cases reopened, which they were all closed in um, 1981 when Wayne was tried and convicted of killing two adults. He was never convicted of killing any children. Um, so uh, I guess that kind of like sums it up in a nutshell as far as, you know, who I am as it pertains to this case. Um, also, you know, I'm a, a activist, um, an author. I've written and published three books. Um, recently finished the fourth one. I'm looking for an illustrator now. So hopefully I'll have the fourth one published sometime by the uh, top of the year. And outside of that, um, I'm a father, you know, and um, a boxing coach right now. <laughs> so, And a musician, right? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. All right. All right so... I actually stopped recording music to help Wayne Williams, though. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, now, as someone, look, I'm not, I don't have boots on the ground. I've only... I've only done research from reading and, you know, and then just looking at the whole picture. So just as someone who has studied, looked into this and, you know, uh, has his third eye open in order for this to continue the, the information to continue to come out the way it is, it has to be some sort of um, group effort, from the media, the 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 um the power structure in Atlanta and Georgia, um, as well as um like for this to continue, it ain't just one person or one agent or whatever. So can you kind of give your thoughts to what is the the force that's behind that uh that keeps put keeps everybody in the dark about the real true facts of this case? Oh man. Um, well you talking about um a global pedophile ring, basically. Yeah. That um you know, in nineteen eighty one we didn't have language like human trafficking or child trafficking, you know. So uh we didn't have the internet. So we we didn't have information readily available to be able to allow us to know what's going on in Indonesia or what's going on in other countries, you know, like we do now. So um, now uh, people are are very much aware of how much of an epidemic this is and how rampant it, it is now. And now people are starting to realize how rampant it was back then and even before, you know, the Atlanta child murders took place. But, you know, um, to sum it up, you're talking about very powerful, influential people, businessmen, politicians, judges, attorneys, you know, um, that don't want all the facts to come out about this because it will point fingers at some very prominent people. Now, um this may sound like a somewhat of a silly question, but besides having a desire to molest children, 
is there something else about the kids uh, besides just the sexual component that makes these people want to target children? Well, um, part of my research has brought me into and what I was already well equipped to be able to understand is certain spiritual aspects of these things and occult rituals and things of that nature. So um, when you get into one of the components, um, they call it slaves in the afterlife. And um, they will ritualistically murder and rape uh, children. Um, and this goes back to a, a story in Greek mythology um, about Zeus and a character named Ganymede. Ganymede was actually a moon of Jupiter in astrology and Zeus would be symbolic of Jupiter. So um, this was a ritual that goes back to that mythological story but what they uh, do it for is they deem it the ritual that makes these children their slaves in the afterlife. Mm. You know. And we mentioned uh, the Zodiac Killer uh, v very famously talked about that in his writings. Right. Yeah. Right. And the, the Zodiac Killer actually um, wrote the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mm -hmm. You know, the Zodiac Killer is somebody who had very similar handwriting and very similar cryptic way of communicating. Right. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution and basically said to them that y'all know y'all got the wrong person and y'all know um, I'm going to keep doing this, you know, basically in so many words. So, Right. And if you look at the timeline that uh, a lot of these events are very close in time. So um, and that, that's the one thing I think now that's been so many years back, we don't realize that you know, some of these, these events were really close to each other in time. And right. I think we maybe now we're starting to see uh, connections that maybe weren't seen before. So, yeah, yeah it's very interesting. Um, now, a lot of they they talk about the victims, right? And uh, a lot of times they they refer to the victims as street kids or they refer to them as basically less than deserving of um, right. of justice. Can you speak to uh, how you feel like the kids were, how they were talked about and maybe, and how that can lead to them not getting the justice that they deserve? Right. They were marginalized. And, and what, what happens in society um, is uh they will put certain labels on a person so um for instance one of the people who were who we think um was murdered recently in connection to this resurfacing was Sidney Dorsey Jr. Mm. and mm -hmm. um when the Atlanta Monster podcast first aired, I want to say it was two weeks later, Sidney Dorsey Jr. 
was gunned down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And there was no witnesses. There was n- no evidence, no nothing. So it was obviously a professional murder. Right. But um, people marginalized his murder because he had a prior conviction for drugs. Right. You know, and a lot of times people think because a person may sell drugs that, you know, they're always getting shot at or, you know, something right. like that is always happening. And, right. you know, you, I know people, I, I, I'm from the streets. I know people who hustled and sold drugs for 30 or more years and never had to have a gun. Right. So um, when you see violence and things of that nature taking place, it's not always just because this person was from the streets or just because whatever, but because when we don't understand the macrocosm that we live in, we only understand our microcosm. So most people only understand the world that they live in and they don't understand how the world really works. Me and you talked about that before, Kensei. Right. So uh, another good example is um, why hip hop music is so uh, alluring to suburban kids that's, you know, never cross the train track. Right. right. You know, uh, one of the things that I remember vividly was when 50 Cent first came out. And he had the story that he had been shot nine times and all of these different things. And he came into the music industry on the coattails of Eminem, which gave him a huge demographic of Caucasian people that was exposed to his music. And Mm -hmm. literally, you know, it was like people thought they had a drug dealer, you know, in a a CD case on their head when they... You, you understand what I'm saying? Because of his story and how, how it was exposed that he was this former drug dealer from Southside, Jamaica, Queens, and everything else. And, you know, true enough, a lot of what his story was was, a, was reality. But the whole thing is that a person who doesn't walk that walk and hasn't lived that life they don't understand how to separate the part of the music that that's reality versus what isn't. You understand? Because they don't understand that culture. You you see, so when a narrative gets pushed to a segment of society and they don't understand what it is to be in those trenches and to live in those neighborhoods and everything else, then it, it's easy for anyone to get marginalized in that way, you know. Yeah. So a perfect example was um in the Atlanta child murders was Techwood Homes was synonymously one of the worst ghettos in Atlanta. But at the same time, it wasn't a lot of murders that took place in Techwood Homes because the men in that community actually set up something called the Bat Patrol. 
mm-hmm. and they were patrolling the community with baseball bats. So they were making sure that it wasn't going to go down over there, you know. But that's the story that doesn't get pushed and doesn't get put into the grander scheme of how the Atlanta child murders story gets told. Yeah. You know, so a person being from this part of town or that first part, it doesn't really matter. You know, a lot of times people, you know, they just victims of circumstance. And some of these kids, you know, they were actually caught up by people that they knew. Yes. Yeah. And and I'm going to show y'all the list. And when I show y'all the list, it's going to make sense what happens towards the end of the list because once it starts getting towards the end of the list you see that it's a cleanup taking place because it's more adults yeah that are dying that the ages are getting higher and higher because these were some of these people were people that were involved cater right yeah cater yeah he was one of the ones involved right yeah um yeah, that you know, anybody who thinks that you know one person did this and was able to just you know you can't yeah. you not you can't just go to a neighborhood like that and just just one person just snatching up kids left and right and you know uh, especially Wayne Williams because Wayne Williams would stand out anywhere even though he's a brother. He, you know, he would definitely stands out anywhere he goes. So, yeah. you know, um, and I, it's just interesting when people just totally believe what they're fed, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, really? Like, how do you look at this case and then just have that opinion? It, it's always interesting to me. But right. but um, I find it interesting that there's so much attention to the case now. Um there is, you know, the Atlanta Monster podcast. There is uh, the Mind Hunters. There's a, there's other things as well. And then they're reopening the case and all of this stuff. The, and the Will Packer special. Will Packer, right? With, all of a sudden, I interviewed for three hours, and they didn't include my interview. Right, and and the crazy thing about it is, not everybody's light bulb went off at the same time. So, of course. So what's this deal with all of a sudden this the media coverage now, you know? But 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 dig it, it's all this media coverage and it's all these TV shows. But when have you ever seen a situation like this and the spokesperson for the actual inmate is not in the media? Right. You understand? Mm-hmm. So, um, it's a it's it's a greater conspiracy concerning uh who they're trying to place okay. in that in that seat to be their puppet because these people know that I don't compromise and anyone who which I know they read my books because when I authored my my first um book that I was actually disseminating information in and teaching a lot about all of these sorts of things was in 2016 and the name of the book was Supreme Science Volume 1 Does the Matrix Really Exist? I know that there was a concerted effort to figure out what I put in that book because um, when I checked my orders 
on the day that my book was released and I put it on social media, there was one purchase, but they purchased 12 books at once. Mm. Interesting. They were having a book club meeting. Exactly. Exactly. But most of the people who bought my books and still to this day, most of the people who buy my books are people who are connected to me through social media. And when they buy my books, they usually let me know in my inbox on social media or they tag my Facebook page and they say, you know, this is a great book or thank you for writing this book. This book is opening my eyes to so many things or whatever the case may be. And this particular order that came in, nobody said nothing to me. And of course, when you are just starting out and you're building something from the ground up, you pay attention to everything. So my first five or six orders, I knew exactly who ordered them because they were tagging me, you know, with the order confirmation, when the book got there and everything, because these were people who had been connected to me for six years, five years or however long, you know, that were waiting for me to finish this book, you know, so they were excited, like, oh, my God, it's on the way, you know, but I never heard anything from this particular order where somebody ordered. I think it was either 10 or 12 books that they ordered at once. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. He was having a book club meeting. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was me. My bad. I forgot. I wish. (laughs) I'm still waiting on my copy, Kente. Oh, yeah. I I did get, uh, I think it was Steve who won. I did get his. I'll I'll send you yours. Uh, And I got to send her Ariel's prime, too. Yeah. Yeah. So in Florida, you in Florida where they say bike instead of back. <laughs> I don't say that. Yeah, I know. But people from Florida would understand. I lived in Florida, so I know. I was like, I don't. <laughs> um one thing I, I've I've heard uh from people who were around during those times is that the ghost of uh of this uh event um still haunts the city and it you know it, first of all they've never truly had a chance to heal yeah. um, or get justice but when you listen to people who were around during that time and right. now and even people who weren't around who came later they still can you kind of talk to how that kind of lingers that you know from that period of time in well, the city Absolutely. I mean, I talk to people uh, on a day-to-day basis, you know, grown men, and, you know, they tell me I lived here, and I know if they say I lived here, then, you know, they understand what hard living is all about, and I'm talking about men that's in their 50, 60 years old that you could tell they some gangsters, but they cry about that time and what it was like to be a father and have children and things of that nature because of everything that transpired and just how much the city was in fear. Uh-oh. Oh, did we uh, lose Wayne? No, I'm here. He's here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine like having to go through that and uh you know, that's something that you, that you just don't shake, right? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you you got to think. Um, I got a real real good friend of mine. He lived a few houses down from Yusef Bell, and he told me that a heavy set white man used to drive through their neighborhood all the time and try to get them to get in the car with him. Mm. You know. And used to offer him candy and food and things of that nature, you know. And he said he remembered one day, uh, Yusef, he told Yusef, don't get in the car with that man. And Yusef did, you wow. know. So um, I know I, when I, I know this many people that tell me the stories because you know, it's like once they find out how connected I am to it, they be like, hey, man, I went, you know, me and such and such, we played Little League football together. Me and this person, we went here together or whatever the case may be, you know. One another, another good acquaintance of mine, I used to work at the CDC. And um, when she found out what I was doing, she started crying to me one night and she was friends with Luby Jeter from the time that they was like in the second grade or something like that. Wow. You know. So, you know, when you think about it, you you a kid and somebody who you go to school with disappears and it's yeah. on the news and then they find them. You know, and it's like it was a three-year period where this was on the news every day. Right. You know, either they found somebody or somebody was missing or there's a suspect in the murders or whatever the case may be. And at any given time, everyone knew that it could be them. Mm -hmm. You know. So. Wow. Wow. Um, okay, so let's let's get into. Uh, okay, so now that this is 2019, the case has now been re reopened. What does that mean? Uh, uh, like, what what have they said as far as are they now DNA testing? Are they uh, um, talking to more witnesses? Are they going using a fresh eye? over the case like what are the what, what what does this mean that we're they're reopening the case um to me i think um and this is just my vantage point um but you know when you live so close to something like this and it's so intimate you've gotten death threats you've tried to work with people you've reached out to people and nobody wants to talk to you it you know, even to this day, like none of these law enforcement agencies, the mayor, nobody from none of these offices have reached out to us, you mm. know. And um, from my vantage point, it's just a song and dance. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think that it's a it was a political move. Uh, and is something that had to be done because, you know, a person like myself, I'm not going to go away. 
and I'm going to keep pushing the line on this until they let him out, until mm-hmm. they tell these parents who killed their child, you know, and they're going to have to compensate them. Right. Because y'all took these people, y'all let these people, child, children die in this city, and y'all purposely covered up who killed them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, there was money collected, too, that no one knows what happened to it. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, like, uh, I remember um, hearing that uh, Muhammad Ali had put in money and other people put in money and they had the benefits. And and that money is not accounted for at all. Yeah. So. Well, one of the things. Huh? I said, who was they giving it to? Well. From what I what I gained was it was supposed to be um the uh what do you call it the um the whoever gave the tip to lead to the arrest but if if that didn't happen then it was supposed to go to the families right and right the families never got no money never got money because yeah. because no one collected it based on the basis of you know um of getting the conviction so right yeah pocketed that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know they talked. They talked about the famous uh, um, picture of uh, the um, yeah with the money, like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it's like, wait, where's that money though? Where that money? money the money on the table. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched The Wire? Yes. You remember that episode on The Wire where that, uh, they was talking, the detectives was talking, and they said, "Dope on the table." Mm-hmm. And then the next thing they showed was a news conference and they had confiscated these drugs and guns and had money and drugs and guns on the table. Right. It's just all good PR, man. That's all right. that was. And, um, you know, what people need to realize about this is, you know, and like I said, man, a lot of this stuff probably is going to seem politically incorrect to a lot of people, but I don't really care. You know what I mean? My life has been threatened because of this. My child life has been threatened because of this. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to tell the truth and I'm, I'm going to let the ball bounce where it may. What people need to realize about um, some of this stuff is that there was a hand that the government played in a lot of it. And um, the uh, The name Muhammad Ali that you just called a minute ago, I'm going to show you how things work. So Muhammad Ali was connected to the Nation of Islam, correct? Right. All right. It's now known that the Nation of Islam and the Church of Scientology is connected, correct? Right. All right. COS, Church of Scientology. COS, Church of Satan. Mm -hmm. All right. The Church of Scientology, the Church of Satan, the man who started the Church of Satan had ties to the Church of Scientology at one point. Anton LaVey, right? Yeah, Anton LaVey had connections to L. Ron Hubbard at one point. Right. Okay. The Church of Scientology, the Church of Satan, the Nation of Islam, along with other organizations or other groups like the Black Panther Party, like the Process Church, the Four Pie Movement, Jim Jones, Charles Manson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why all of these organizations was connected to that 
San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the Nation of Islam wasn't, but the Black Panthers and a lot of that other stuff was. Um, these projects are all connected to a greater mind control project that you probably heard of called MK Ultra. Right. Right. You also probably heard of Monarch programming. Right. That nature. Okay. So now, when you look at the Atlanta child murders, going on the understanding of what I just told you, who were the people that came to Atlanta and donated money and performed? Sammy Davis Jr., who was a, a Satanist. Yeah. Right. He was mm-hmm. part of the church of Satan. Right. I, oddly enough, if you guys watch Comedians and Cars Get Coffee, I, I might have mentioned it last I week. I saw that. Yeah, when Eddie and, Murphy said that, that that Sammy Davis was saying, "Yeah, Satan, baby." Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly what, yeah, that's hilarious. Because yeah, I, well, I had already knew that, but I had never heard anybody talk about it in a mainstream. Right. Right. right, I was watching it with somebody, and then they was like, "What?" And then I pulled up the picture of Sammy Davis Jr. and Anton Levey together. Right, you know. And they was like, wow. And then I told that person, I said, yeah, and Sammy Davis Jr. came to Atlanta and gave a benefit concert in Atlanta. Right. You know, so the same the same with MLK. Sammy mm-hmm. Davis Jr. did a concert with Jesse Jackson in Chicago. Jesse Jackson, the man, the main a government infiltrator of MLK circle that helped kill MLK. Sammy Davis Jr. went up to Chicago, and they was booing him in Chicago, by the way. But he went up in Chicago in 1968 and did a benefit concert up there as well. Because these people, what people fail to realize is that a lot of the entertainers that you see, a lot of the news media, they're actually being controlled by the CIA. Right. Operation Mockingbird, if people want to look it up, you know what I'm saying? That's the operation in which the CIA infiltrated uh, the news media. Right. You know, and, and, and it's funny, though, because what people don't understand is this is not like conspiracy theory. Uh, this is like you can look this stuff up. Right. Yeah. And, and you see that, you know, it's only what what is it? Seven if seven actual media companies that control everything, something like that. And all the CEOs have straight ties to CIA. Right. Like I'm not talking about like hidden ties. Like you right. could right. literally go and see. The, you know, you can pull it up. That you know, a real a real good book for people to read is called Elite Deviants. Mm, I never heard that one. Yeah, Elite Deviants, and actually, I forget the author's name, but he shows how you know all of these corporations are connected to news media outlets. I mean, he's breaking it all down, you know. So, you know, I'm heavy into that stuff, like Transformation of America and all that type of stuff, you know. And and, um, a name, too, that pops up, we talked about last week, Aleister Crawley. Um, And it's funny, though, they they have this TV show now where he's featured in it. which is very interesting. Uh, a lot of people 
are not of are not aware of the of him. It's it's interesting how he had such an impact on society in not just the UK but right. America and all all over. But it, it's he's not widely known, right? You know who he is, right. and we kind of briefly touched on him last week. But I, I feel like he's an important figure to to talk about uh and how and it and a lot of the stuff with him intersects and i think when people see the intersection then things start making more sense so if you can kind of just you know give like a who is alistair crawley and how does he kind of intersect his philosophies i i would say because i think it gives an insight into why people are why people are acting in a way that doesn't seem you know right well um Alistair, Alistair Crowley was a, a very famous occultist and um, I guess what, what people would call a person who was into uh, Kabbalistic dark magic um, you know I don't I don't like the term dark magic you know mm-hmm. because the stigma of white being right and all that type of stuff but right. um, basically uh he was a very, very uh, big influence on a lot of uh, musicians. Um, very, very big influence into what became occultism in the West. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, what people don't understand is that the word occult comes from the word ocular, which um, is talking about the eye, which is the third eye. Right. But what has happened because of religious ideologies being pushed forth in a certain type of way, it's been given a, a bad reputation. And then because so many people use occult sciences or what they call occult sciences for evil reasons you know the science isn't good or evil it's the intent of the individual you know um so what has ended up happening though is that a lot of the people who are into these sort of things you know ritualistically raping children and and you know, torturing people and all of these type of things. Alistair Crowley is a big influence on these people. But um, you know, little known secret that's out there in what we would call the truth community or the woke community, though, is that Alistair Crowley was actually the father of Barbara Bush, yeah. who was the wife of George H.W. Bush. Because basically her mother, Penny Pierce, for lack of a better term, was a slut. And she was married to a man, but she was actually overseas with Alistair Crowley, participating in these seances and rituals and doing all of this sex magic. And as a result of that, uh, the, the, the child that was born was Barbara Bush. I'm and it's documented too. I'm not that, saying that it is, but all I'm saying is that if anybody go pull up a picture of Alice Crowley and put it next to Barbara Bush, you tell me what it is. <laughs> it's documented that she did was there at the right time and all of that stuff. So that's not like pulling it out, you know, your butt. Yeah. Um, 
And there's a TV show that I, I like quite a bit. It's called Strange Angel. And it talks about uh, Jack Parsons, who was one of the fathers of jet propulsion and uh, started to help start the JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which led to, you know, um, being able to go to outer space. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, he was an occultist as well, who um, who because he was alive during the time, the end of. Alistair Crawley's life and he he followed him he was a follower of him and uh, it's interesting this TV show even though he never as the record says they never met each other because he was in England at this point mm-hmm. but they they communicated quite mm-hmm. a bit uh, in this TV show though they kind of have them with each other which seem which is different than what I've always read about it mm-hmm. and um, so it made me it's, I find it interesting I wonder if this is an attempt to make start to make his him more of a mainstream uh person now because yeah, yeah because you know like especially in the 60s cuz in the 60s people were very open about their and admiration for him right people that you love uh, a lot of great musicians and you know uh Jimmy Page for example uh bought his home and uh, you know, I mean, it's a bunch of people that just love love him. Jimmy Page was from the Grateful Dead, correct? Uh, no, no, he was um, from um, was Led Zeppelin. Is it okay? Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so, and I think, that, and I think once you, there's some documentaries about him and his life, Aleister Crawley, mm-hmm. and if you, when you look into it. And then you start realizing what he was preaching and what he was teaching and that how the effect of it, then the stuff that we are talking about doesn't seem so crazy because now you understand why it it is happening. Right. 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 And if you think, if you think about it, I think he died in the forties. Right. So we're talking about only a 30 year difference, you know, something like 30, 40 years different um in the end of his life and some of these things you know so that's just something i want people to think about um okay so you talked about people um people threatening your life and whatnot Mm -hmm. and uh how has that affected the way you move when you are you know not just in atlanta but anywhere I mean, <laughs> bro, like it was one point in my life to where I really thought I was going to be murdered. So I literally every morning in the wintertime, you know, you got to crank your car up and, and let it warm up or whatever. Um, I would crank my car and I would put my head down like this in the car and I would do like a meditation every morning. Um in case, you know, I didn't make it because mm. I was literally, you know, afraid that, well, I wasn't afraid, but I was really literally thinking that at any given time, my number could be called, you know. Mm. Um, but, you know, if it's something, I've always been the type of person and anybody that knows me will tell you that if... uh one of the things that I, I live for, um, well, I live by, rather, 
was growing up is that um that song that Tupac said if you can't find something to live for you gotta have something to die for so that was always a principle that I live by and um to me this is such an important topic not just because of the fact that it affected so many people that I love and I care about but uh it's still such a widespread epidemic so much so that they're actually trying to make pedophilia legal now right they're trying to make it a medical condition right you know so um i mean i've I've had people call my phone and say it'd be a shame if something happened to you or that pretty little daughter you got Mm. you know wow why don't y'all why don't y'all just leave this alone you know it's like moving all over again yeah yeah so and and i mean one of one of the members of the freedom project uh an elderly lady got something in the mail recently i see what you're doing wow because we had to get together at her home um and we had the media the media came by and did an interview, but we actually had to get together with some of the family members and some um, members of the community where we actually sat down with them and I answered some of their questions and we we showed them some footage of an interview that we got from a person that was uh, connected to the case in a very serious way and knew a lot of the behind the scenes things that took place. So um, it's one of those things, man, where the ramifications of this, like I said before, this pedophile ring um, that was in operation, it was an operation in every major city in America. And um, it was very sophisticated. And I, I showed um, Shannon earlier, the, the head of the ring, when he got caught, he got caught with between what did they say, thirty to fifty thousand index cards. Fifty to said a hundred. Or fifty to a hundred thousand. It's it's so it's so crazy that you know it's hard to remember, but fifty to a hundred index, fifty to a hundred thousand index cards of clients or victims. Wow. And um to show the connection uh the head of the ring in Atlanta was a man named John David Wilcoxon mm. and he went to he went to prison just like this man went to prison he went to prison for child sex related crimes and um I'm gonna just read this to you uh Pedophile John David Wilcoxon, a 50-year-old truck driver, lived on 1980 Compton Drive, southeast near Lakewood Fairgrounds at South Bend Park. A man in the same child porn ring caught with hundreds of child porn photos had rented a room at the Alamo Plaza Hotel on Stewart Avenue. Stewart Avenue was the main prostitution strip in Atlanta. Mm. It's called Metropolitan Parkway now. And that's another thing that people don't realize or don't understand is that they changed 
the names of streets mm. in Atlanta, the the places where the pedophile rings were and stuff took place. They bought them. They bought the property. So the laundromat that Clifford Jones was uh, killed at, it's a, it's a public library there now. <laughs> wow. You know. Um, the house on Gray Street where Tom Terrell was in, in um, that they call Uncle Tom's Cabin. They demolished that, and I want to say, like, they got parking there now or something. They got parking there for, like, the football stadium. Wow. You know, so that's the type of thing they did, you know. But um, this guy right here, he was involved with some other truck drivers, you see. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand the deviant behavior that t- take place with truck drivers. Right. But I'm from the streets of Atlanta, man. Like, uh, in Atlanta on Bankhead Highway, which is one of the most well-known strips where it go down there in the city, there's a truck stop it's a it's a truck stop has a restaurant in it they can go in and take showers everything Mm -hmm. called petro man so many people so many of them truck drivers come through there and they want god knows what they Mm -hmm. they want stuff that they keep them on that road and keep them wide awake you know what i'm saying um they want they come for women they whatever you can think of right you know so, um, you know, this particular guy, he was involved with a bunch of truck drivers and they would come in and out of Atlanta and that's what was going on with him. But when they, when they caught this guy, he had all of this child pornography. He had index cards and contacts and everything else, you know, and, um, he was connected to the same pedophile ring that John Wayne Gacy was connected to. Um, Another crew in Chicago called the Chicago Rippers, a man named Richard Gecht was the head of that. Um, And then I told y'all last week, I told y'all the man name was John Corley, and I think I was wrong. I think his name is Dean Corley. Dean Corley, okay. Yeah, but he was... (laughs) Dean Corley was attributed to killing 23 boys in Texas. You know, so um, we recently, I've had a real big breakthrough in the case and one of the one of the people that we know did some of the murders, we recently found out that he moved to Atlanta from Houston, Texas. Hmm. Oh, wow. And that's like, if you just do research on child trafficking, Houston, Texas, it's going to blow your mind. Around the same time that all this stuff was going on, it was something going on. You know about Omaha, Nebraska, but it was something right. going on in Houston, Texas called Boys for Sale. Mm. Wow. Yep. 
and judges and politicians and you name it was all connected to that one as well. The same story. Wow. That's how they're able to do it and get away with it. And isn't there a documentary for police for sale? Yes, it's on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. And then there's also the um the uh there was a an open secret that was kind of talked a little bit about that um in Hollywood. Um if you guys haven't seen that, that's a really good one about about uh uh thing, you know, uh how in Hollywood they used to the casting system, how uh, pedophilia and stuff like that. And it's, it's deep, man. It's deep. I, I, you know, this is the thing that I think that people don't understand because I just feel like they don't tell you enough of the data, right? Yeah. How much, first of all, people go missing, adults go missing, especially black people black people go missing black women go missing black men go missing but the children like so many children are 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 being taken and there's like a youtube there's several youtube videos of literally kids being snatched in like grocery stores or you know you could see it on video you know with the mother or the father like just you know right there and, you know, so people don't understand, like, how real that is. Like, like uh, when I, you know, I don't have any children, but I have nieces and nephews. And I'm, like, overly protective when they're in my custody because, I mean, I don't know if you can you can be overly protective. But um, because of, you know, I know what can happen, you know. So it, it's a real thing. And it's an even bigger thing than people realize. Yeah. And... There's so many, uh, so many children that one is they get taken, you know, uh, human trafficked, um, you know, murdered. That's the thing, too, that with the Atlanta child murders, that what actually happened to the kids, I feel like, you know, that they're not telling you everything with that. And I know you've talked about, like, things that they've left out what happened to the kids and right. you know because i think they were trying to say that none of the kids were molested right you know or, or, that's well. definitely that's definitely a lie right yeah. that's definitely a lie um you know uh and talking to venus taylor mm-hmm. um venus taylor is the mother who probably um kept this fight going the longest and um it well i wouldn't say kept it going the longest but went to the most extreme measures mm-hmm. um she was the one that actually did the interview with me and um spoke of the hypodermic needle marks that was in the genital areas of the six boys that she helped bury mm-hmm. she did the funeral arrangements for the little boys so she went to see him in the morgue and she took pictures, actually, of the hypodermic needle marks that was in their genital areas. Well, wow. when, she, when she went and visited this facility outside of Chicago, um, she was told at that particular time that it was an epidemic in America where Caucasian males were dying of prostate cancer. And 
the woman who did the uh, presentation with her told her that in 15 to 20 years, it's going to be number black men getting prostate cancer. And then the lady, of course, started telling her about the interferon harvesting. And interferon is most prevalent in young black males at the age of puberty or the pre-puberty age. And um, it's secreted from the prostate area in that area of the body. So, it's, this shit is disgusting, y'all. But um, the reason why they was raping them and then killing them the way that they was killing them is because you get the purest form of the protein interferon from a male who hasn't ejaculated. Yeah. And... Um, That's crazy. And sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes I'll be about to cry talking about this, you know what I'm saying? Because I got a connection with these mothers, you know, and the family members, you know what I'm saying? But um, the asphyxiation, the reason they was choking them and killing them in that way is because if that happens, the interferon level ramps up in the body at the time of death even more. Wow. So that's why they were doing, killing them in the way that they was killing them and extracting it when they was extracting it. You know. And um, <laughs> yeah, my bad, y'all. But, um, you know, to hear this woman I mean, Venus Taylor is the strongest woman I've ever met in my life. Hands down. Like, you know, Dick Gregory, the government agent, tried to scare her off of the path of fighting for this. And she told him straight up, she said, all the rest of my children grown. That was my baby. Mm. Ain't an effing thing you can tell me about giving up on my child. You know, but um, you know, that's you know, that's why, you know, it's such a big deal. And, and to show y'all even more how serious it is, the CDC is headquartered in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. interferon, interferon is used in cancer treatment now. Mm. And... um it's a film out there that people should try to uh, check out. It's called, uh, I think it's called Red Line, where whoever did this film, they kind of knew something about the land of child murders, but um, it was a doctor that gets killed in the film. And um, right before all of this started taking place, a doctor got murdered downtown Atlanta that had just given a presentation at the CDC. Wow. He ended up being murdered downtown by the Omni. I want to say his name was Jack Kettleman or Ketterman or Kettleman, something like that. It's in my notes somewhere. But um, this doctor gets murdered, then the boys start disappearing. Wow. Yeah. 
And I have, I can't prove it, but I have reason to believe that, or reason to think, I don't like that word believe, but I have reason to think that Dr. Kettleman probably was the person that had information about this particular procedure and what needed to be done for the cancer treatment. And they took him out and then they took his work, his research, and they started, you know, doing what they was doing. And for anybody who think this is crazy, um, just look at right now, one of these corporations is got a multi-billion dollar lawsuit for this opioid stuff that's going on. Like, right. you know, the legal drug business is so profitable. So with this, with this man's research, he could have became a billionaire. You know, so wow. it ain't nothing to them to kill somebody for a billion dollar idea. Oh, well, you're right. hundred percent. hundred percent. I want to take this moment, um, if Shannon would, to uh, shout out the people in the chat room. Sure. In the chat room tonight, we have Shauna, Angela, Michael, Boo, Yolinda, D, Ebony, Steve. Diana and Steph. So, so Steph. All right. All right. I want to uh, give an opportunity for anybody who wants to hop in to ask a question. This is a good time. And also, if you if you want to be shy, you can ask your question on the side and we will get it in there. But uh, if anybody wants to hop in to ask any questions, uh, go ahead and uh, we can facilitate that. Um, while we're waiting to see if uh, anybody wants to hop in, um uh are you would you consider yourself a hopeful person? Who me? Mm-hmm. Man, all we got in this world is hope, bro. Do you feel like there will be some form of justice um in this case? Well, I know as long as I got breath in my lungs, you know what I'm talking about, some gonna have to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to have to let the boy go. Like, he, he up for parole this month. So we got something that we going to present. And I'm telling y'all, if they don't let this man go and y'all find out what I got, mm. trust me. Mm. I got I got people who, like, been, been waiting for me for 40 years, basically. You know, who done told us the police officers and the police officers laughed at them. Told us the police officers and they ain't do nothing with it. Told us the Wayne's attorney and he ain't do nothing with it. Right. So, wow. you know, people like crying to me on the phone like, son, I've been waiting on you for the last 38 years. So, you know, right. it's going to go down. Holmes is coming home straight up. He coming home. Uh, it says, will you ever write a book about this? That's from Absolutely. Boo. Absolutely. I'm actually going to write a book about it, and I'm going to do a documentary about it telling my story. So when I get to tell my story, it's going to make it's gonna make all the sense in the world why Wayne's still in prison, because he should have been out. You know, he should have been out a long time ago. But... Um, <laughs> uh, I'll just say that it's been a lot of motivation to keep him there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
And like I said, man, it's a lot of stuff that I be wanting to say because I could fight and I don't be worried. You know what I'm saying? Like, I be wishing some of these people that's connected to it would get out of line so I could just punch them in their face. Like, still to this day, if I see Payne, Lindsay, and Donald Albright, it's on and popping. They better cross the street, you know. And it's a few other people that, that go with that, you know, because of this this is something that's so serious and people play with it and they, you know, they want to be opportunists and make money off of it. And we talking about people's lives. Yeah. You know, and he, like these people don't got no soul to do what they do. Because I don't know how somebody could look themselves in the mirror after knowing everything that took place with this and then go and do the, the, the stuff that they done did. Will Packer in that category too. You know what's interesting about Will Packer is um like Will Packer when I I, I didn't even know this existed. And I saw uh I, I mean I'm talking about Will Packer's thing. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was doing research for you and I came across and I said, Oh, this is him in this. What is this? Right. And I found the Breakfast Club interview where he's talking about it. I didn't even know that that had come out. Right. Um, that's interesting. And Will Packer, you know, uh, when I listened to him talk about about it on the Breakfast Club, and I, uh, and it's interesting too how the Breakfast Club has become like this portal for a lot of this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Thanks. I I found this very interesting. You know, so like like you see like a pipeline. You know. Yeah. Yeah. This is very interesting. Um now I, you know I I, I do want to go back to uh I do want to go back to uh um the Atlanta monster because I, I really feel like that was at the forefront of a lot of this in the in the new in the recent. Mm -hmm. And it's very you interesting. You got to tell that story though to the listeners that you told me. Oh, about the lady? Yeah, that was okay. a dope story. So I, I was doing some Uber, right? And um, so I'm doing some Uber and uh, I had this uh, lady who was had a meeting at CAA, uh, which is the, you know, the biggest agency in the, in the business, right? So as I'm driving, I had Atlanta Monster on, right? And so Atlanta Monster is playing. And at first, I don't, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know if the woman's listening or not. She's in the back. Right. And she had said that, you know, in the beginning that she was really late for her meeting. So while we're driving, brother Dwayne uh, comes on. Right. And this is the first time I hear him. And, uh, you know, he's talking. And right away, I've said this last week that, you know, he was right away. You knew this was the guy you needed to listen to in this whole piece. So we get it to CAA. Mind you, we're late for her thing. The lady didn't want to get out the car because he was so she was so engaged into what Dwayne was talking about. She just kept looking at her watch like, OK, let me get a little bit more in. <laughs> wow. So then she was like, then she asked to, you know, to get, you know, how can she download it and stuff like that? And she was like, let me get in here before I ain't got a job. <laughs> so she she left. And uh, like I said, like he, you know, this brother was the, the realest one in there and it makes me wonder though like was this something from the beginning and you know was this something from the beginning uh 
their intentions or did it evolve as it went along as they started getting into it like um what they ultimately did do you think that was their whole intention from the beginning i don't think so i think um I think, you know, it was a money-making venture for them. And then I think at some point, once uh, whoever the puppet master is in this particular incident, whoever their puppet master is, realized that I was involved, then they was like, okay, we need to reel it in, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And... The reason I say that is because um, for me, it's my my scope is way broader than the Atlanta child murders. Right. So um, this is just one small part of my studies, my research, and, and what I've been making people aware of. So what happens is is if once a figure like me is inserted into mainstream, now it's a whole bunch of answers for a whole lot of questions that people get that they don't necessarily want to come out. And just to show you how real it is, um, two of the things that I wrote about in my last book was the Chappaquiddick incident, Mm -hmm. um, which was uh, when Ted Kennedy um was involved in that accident where Mary Jane Copench, I think is her last name, mm-hmm. died um on that bridge. Mm-hmm. That was done to nullify the Kennedys in politics. Right. And to make sure that Ted Kennedy never ran for president. Right. He would have definitely won. Huh? He would have definitely won. Right. That. like Bobby was going to win. Yeah, they couldn't you know kill another saying? one. They didn't want to kill another one. Right. And At just like JFK Jr. would have won. Right. And a lot of people think that the Clintons had him killed. You right. know, because he was getting ready to run for senator in New York when Hillary Clinton was about to. Right. You know. But um, I wrote about that in the book, and now it's a movie coming out about the Chappaquiddick incident. Yeah, it came out, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I've been explaining to people for years that how they polarize their icons, um, they they do it through subliminal tactics. And that's I was explaining to people why they call LeBron James LBJ. Mm-hmm. Right. Is to give energy and life to Lyndon Baines Johnson. Mm hmm. Right. And Lyndon Baines, people didn't notice, but Lyndon Baines Johnson rolled under the JFK ticket and became vice president because he knew he was going to become president because they knew they was going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And that's that what you be- know. But now and, and now LBJ has a movie. And in my same book, Red Pill Alchemy, the main actor, Woody Harrelson is playing LBJ and in my book Red Pill Alchemy I explained that Woody Harrelson's parents were CIA operatives and that Woody Harrelson's father is the the man who killed the judge 
in Houston, Texas, that was about to spill the beans on George Bush Sr. and a man named H.L. Hunt and the fact that they killed JFK Jr. Woody Harrelson's dad did that. Right. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson's mom, guess what her maiden name is? What? Oswald. <laughs> I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. And, and all all that's in my book, Red Pill Alchemy. And now it's a it's a movie about LBJ starring Woody Harrelson. So right. that's what that's what they do to paint the narrative, you know. Um another thing that they do so people could understand what they do, when they make movies about drug dealers. They always make the movie about the person who snitched. Mm -hmm. Frank Lucas was a snitch. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? White boy Rick was a snitch. And you go, you go down the line. All of the movies they make, if it's about a real life figure, they snitched. And Henry Hill was a snitch. <laughs> Henry Hill was a snitch. On, right. Like you just keep going on and on and on, and most of. Most of the real life stories, that's what it be about. Like the Godfather, you know, those characters was based on the Lacosta Nostra in America as a whole. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't based on like one crime family or nothing like that. It was based on different people that was in the mob. You see what I mean? So that was fictitious. Scarface was fictitious, you know, but when they make the ones the, the movies about the real ones they they it's always somebody who is snitch you know yeah because they want to embed that into the the next generations you know it's all subliminal what they do they don't put it in your face all right yeah. well what's next? i'm sorry what yeah, you say go ahead, go ahead what's next with Dwayne? what are you gonna do next the next book is called Red Pill Alchemy Volume 2, How Do We Save the Babies? So I'm already writing that book. And basically in this book, what I'm doing is I'm um, explaining, you know, uh, child trafficking as a whole, pedophilia, and all the subliminal stuff that's in, like, children movies and stuff like that. And then I'm also giving, like, the spiritual parts of it so people could understand, like, the origin of it, like I was talking about the, the cult rituals and everything. That's uh, So I'm going to be explaining all that type of stuff, you know, and, and basically like giving guidance on how to educate your children in the midst of it so that they understand what they need to look for. All right. I, I would like in our next discussion uh, to talk about Red Pill Alchemy, I'm going to make sure that uh, uh, I get it to Shannon yeah. uh, right away. And, uh, Please do. And uh, that'd be a good conversation to have. Right. And uh, but I want to thank you so much uh, once again, hitting us, giving us that knowledge. Um, how can we get you in social media and uh, your website? Um, my website is uh, supremescience99.com. So it's all one word, supreme science, the numbers 99.com. Um, I'm on Facebook at the Wayne Williams Freedom Project page and also my personal page, Dwayne Hendricks. And that's D-E-W-A-Y-N-E -E, Hendricks, just like Jimmy with an X. Um and that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't I don't have time to be doing all this stuff over 
all of the different, you know, Instagram and all that type of stuff. Luckily, I got some sisters um, that help me. So a lot of times when I post stuff, they'll take it and they'll put it on um, Instagram. And um, they could also follow the Society of the Unk. Um, the Society of the Unk is a group of people. It's, it's like my spiritual family that I started. And that's on Facebook and on Instagram. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. Um, uh, are we going to hear any music from you anytime soon? Yeah, actually, um, I uh, recently recorded some new music. And um, I'm... Uh, planning on recording about four more songs before I start putting together the uh, videos. Because when I do it, when I do it, I want it to, I want, like, I want to do it in a certain type of way because of how music is now. You don't, you don't necessarily have to have an album if you make good music, but I want, I want my, uh, I want my videos and my songs to kind of like, tell a, a greater story you know what i'm saying so i want them to be connected in a way that's awesome yeah that's what's up uh, what about you shannon how can we get you social media facebook twitter instagram shannon ford like the president hyphen jefferson like the president all right and it, uh do you think we'll be able to do that show on monday is it a possibility I mean, maybe. <laughs> I'm being honest. All right. Well, we'll try to make it happen. Uh, the, we're gonna do. We're gonna do a poetry show on Monday. Okay. But uh, if nothing else, we'll get somebody on the show. All right. It is um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and it is also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Shout out to Danny. Cool. Seven years cancer free. Shout out to my mother. She's. Uh, a couple decades cancer free. Wow. Too. So yeah, she's doing going great too. Uh my mom. So shout out to you, mama. And she and you know what? My mother heard the show last week and she loved it too. So you know, yeah. So, great. Yeah. I gotta I gotta show you this. Um mm-hmm. before um we open up the chat room. I okay. gotta show this to y'all and this is what Steve wanted to see last week. He wanted okay. to see the list. And I want to show y'all that this list, this is from the book, The List, that was written by uh, Chet Detlinger and Jeff Proof. All right. And I want to show y'all how, just like when Payne Lindsay said to me on the phone that the the list was something that the FBI made up. So here, here's the dates, you know, of the murders. And these are the names. So uh, the first, this first kid, Edward Hope Smith, right? He died. He was shot in the back, 14 years old. This next kid, Alfred Evans, um, I think his death was asphyxiation. So you see the, 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 the ages, 14 and 9, Yusuf Bell. Yusuf Bell was found in a crawl space in an a, a old building, and he was hit across the head. Uh, Jeffrey Mathis, 10 years old, Angel Lanier, 12, right? And right there, there's supposed to be a list of people that, you know, have similar causes of death and similar uh, genders, but this is a 
a girl right here. This yeah. is a little girl, right? So how did she end up on the list? Mm. <laughs> right? You come down a few more, Latanya Wilson is on the list, seven years old. How did she end up on the list? You know, mm. um, Aaron Weich, Anthony Carter, Earl Terrell, Clifford Jones, which is, you know, Clifford Jones is one of, you know, the most compelling cases. And right here, this is this is another thing, too. Darren Glass, it says, still missing. We have reason to think that actually the body that they thought was Jeffrey Mathis's was really Darren Glass and that they never found Jeffrey Mathis's body. Mm. And that's what Willie Mae Mathis, uh, Jeffrey Mathis's mother, um, is actually uh, suspecting. She died suspecting that, you know, they still hadn't found her child. Mm. All right. Um, Charles Stevens, Charles Stevens was one of the children that we know who we know who was responsible for his death. It was a man that was uh pimping him, and he had Caucasian hair fibers in his underwear. Mm. Yeah, Aaron Jackson. This this is where it starts to take a turn. Pat Man Rogers was 16 years old. The interesting thing about Pat Man Rogers was he knew about 11 of these children. Mm. You know, very streetwise kid. And after uh, he had already been dead for about six months, the police showed up at his mama's house in Thomasville Heights Projects with a search, I mean, with an arrest warrant for a uh, burglary. He was a part of a burglary ring that was taking place in downtown Atlanta at a pawn shop where um, it was also a hotbed for the pedophiles. This pawn shop that was down by the uh, Omni in Atlanta. But as you see, these are all teenage, you know, teenage or preteen boys. And then we get here, Eddie Duncan was 21, a grown man. Larry Rogers, 20. Michael McIntosh, 23. Jimmy Ray Payne, 21, William Barrett, 17, and Nathaniel Cater, 27. So you tell me what this 21-year-old, 20, 23-year-old, 20, 21-year-old, and 27-year-old is on the list for. Right. It doesn't fit the, uh, the MO. Exactly. Especially when this cat, we, we know this cat right here, Nathaniel Cater, this is the one who they say Wayne threw off the bridge. Uh, Nathaniel Cater's fingerprint was at two of the crime scenes, but Wayne Williams' fingerprint wasn't at none of them. Mm. Right. This is another man, John Porter, 28 years old, that was added by the prosecution. All right. So now these that's that's uh 30 names. These are the names that didn't make the list. So you see that's 30. But right here, it's 47 names that didn't make the list on that page. So that's a that's a total of 77 murders we're dealing with right there. And if you look right here, 
1981, since the arrest of Wayne Williams. So all of these murders continue to take place after Wayne Williams was already arrested in custody. And this this list goes up to 63 names. Wow. So we talking about a total of 93 murders and you see they just got male shot. They they don't even name none of them except for this one little girl, Lucretia Bell, who was strangled. Yeah. And they said that in the criteria for the list, that that was the main criteria that they was asphyxiated. But it's people that was on the list that wasn't strangled, and this little girl that was 13 years old was. So yeah. in total... In total, we really talking about 93 murders, but they only condensed it to this. And then when you look at the list, all of these murders took place after Wayne Williams went to prison. Wow. So at this particular point, it, it had been 30 on the list and 38 that wasn't on the list. And then when you get here, you know, it starts at 39 that wasn't on the list, and it goes all the way to 63. Wow. So all of those murders took place after Wayne Williams was incarcerated. And they just swept them under the rug. And they always say that everything stopped when Wayne went to prison. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with yeah. us. Yeah, and, and some of the people that we know was involved in these murders, you know, there's multiple ones that actually went to prison for child sex-related crimes. And they're in the files. They're in the police investigative files. The police knew about these people during the Atlanta child murders. Like, people told them, you know, this man doing this, this man doing that. All right. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Biggest miscarriage of justice probably in the history of this country. Yeah. Um, and um, that's from the book, The List. They were written by two LA Times. Weren't they LA Times uh, journalists? One one was a, a, a journalist for the LA Times, and the other one was the former uh, assistant public safety commissioner for Atlanta. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so he was high up in the totem pole. He was a serious insider, and he actually quit the police force to actually do the work that needed to be done to solve these cases. Wow. He was a decorated cop in Louisville, Kentucky, so much so that he got offered the job to come to Atlanta. Oh, wow. Yeah, and at that time, it was a it was a power struggle going on, and it was a a uh, police chief that was being asked to step down that wouldn't step down and he was able to stay in office because of a technicality so they stripped him of his power by creating a title called the public safety commissioner mm. and that's what lee brown ended up being <laughs> and lee brown is the person who was the the the, the figurehead for the police force that ended up becoming the mayor of houston texas you know, there was a. Uh, uh, I know we, we were saying goodbye, but I want to put this one last thing in. Did you ever see the miniseries um, 
that was created maybe like four years afterwards in like 85 starring Morgan Freeman and yeah yeah um yeah what'd you think about that I mean the only thing that's really worth watching if people really want to know something about these murders is the documentary that's out there is the documentary uh reclamation Mm -hmm. you know they'll get a lot of answers from that and that's because Chet Detlinger and Jeff Prue were a part of that documentary. Okay, reclamation. Yeah. yeah. I thought you was gonna open the chat room. You getting off? Uh I did, but um nobody uh, yeah, so uh, oh, for real. Okay. Yeah, everybody's being uh they'll probably do it once we start we'll talk once we start recording. Then then that's when that's when they'll do it. So what okay. we'll do is uh we'll say goodbye. Hey, uh um you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson on Instagram. Of course, the website is IndyRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Uh, you guys have a great rest of your week, and God bless. Night.